Today on Hearing is Believing. Grit, determination, tenacity, perseverance. All of those terms and every synonym that's associated with them, all of those are part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Connecting contemporary culture to the timeless truths of God's Word. This is Hearing is Believing. In 2014, I was introduced to Louis Zemperini. Some of you know who that is. I didn't meet him personally. I was introduced to him through the major motion picture, Unbroken. How many of you have seen the movie Unbroken? All right, a couple of you. Good. So Louis Zemperini has been rightly described as a champion. He was an Olympic athlete. He's been described as a survivor. He survived a plane crash in the middle of the Pacific during World War II. And after his plane crash, he drifted over 2,000 miles in a raft for 47 days until he was captured by the Japanese. When he was captured by the Japanese, he endured two more years of torture as a prisoner of war in a prisoner of war camp. Zamperini was a hero. But the most legendary aspect of Louis Zamperini's life came in 1949. And in 1949, Louis gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he would live the next 67 years of his life as an inspiration to millions and served as his highest honor, an ambassador for King Jesus. And so Zamperini completed his last book when he was age 97. Don't give up. Don't give in. Lessons from an extraordinary life. And in that book, he shares wisdom and insight from all of his many experiences. And what I want to do tonight is I just want to read just a short portion of this book, of the section from this book to you. It's in a chapter entitled, Commitment and Perseverance Pay Off. Listen to what he says. People often ask me what I've learned in life that is worth remembering and passing on. Here's something I say, especially to young people. It'll be tough to amount to anything unless you commit to your goal and stay the course. You can't give in to doubt. You can't give in to pain. Becoming a great athlete, writer, businessman, whatever, doesn't just happen. You have to reach deep within yourself to discover if you're willing to make the necessary sacrifices. And if you're not, choose another goal and ask the question again. This is the great lesson of my life. Never give up. If you want to be a champion, you have to go after what you want, tooth and nail. This requires perseverance. If you're on the right track, stay on that path until you've finished. And listen to this concluding paragraph. My older brother Pete put it all in sharp perspective for me when I was young and trying to become a championship runner. Pete said, isn't one minute of pain worth a lifetime of glory? Isn't one minute of pain worth a lifetime of glory? 
So we turn our attention this evening to the Holy Scripture, and I encourage you, if you have your Bible, to take it and join me in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to turn our attentions towards our next principle in our study of Timothy this evening. And we're going to learn what is necessary for us to make it safe to shore. And so principle number eight tonight is confidence to press on. What do we need to make it safe to shore? Well, we need confidence. Confidence to keep going. Confidence to press on. Grit. Determination. Tenacity. Perseverance. All of those terms and every synonym that's associated with them, all of those are part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There's a guy who wrote a book that's been influential in a generation of ministers. His name is Paul David Tripp, and he wrote a book called Dangerous Calling. And in that, in that book, he sets out a thesis. And that thesis of that book is the call to ministry is a call to suffer. The call to ministry is a call to suffer. And I think that uh, Mr. Tripp, he wouldn't mind if we extended his definition to say it this way, maybe in the words of another, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The call to follow Jesus is a call to come and die. The call to follow Jesus is a road marked with suffering. Think about the words of our Lord. What did he say? No man who takes up his plow and turns back is worthy of the kingdom of God. A phrase that I've oftentimes thought about in my own life when I think about giving in or giving up, when I think about throwing in the towel, the Lord always brings to my remembrance what he told Jeremiah. Jeremiah was having a little moment. Jeremiah, in the beginning of his ministry, God had to remind him very early on to quit looking inward and start looking upward. And Jeremiah is reminded by the Lord, this is what he says in chapter 12 and verse 5, when he was tempted towards timidity, the Lord breaks him of that, and he says it this way. Jeremiah, if you have raced with the men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? The Lord comes and fractures his timidity. He said, Jeremiah, if you can't even make it with footmen, how are you going to make it when the horses are chasing you? In other words, what's God instilling in the young prophet? Keep going. Press on. Don't give in. Don't give up. And so in our text tonight, Paul is encouraging Timothy. And as he's encouraging Timothy, he has a word for him. And in that word for him, it's a word for us. And remember this, as he's telling this word to young Timothy, he himself is imprisoned. Paul is imprisoned. His resume, Paul, if he were to give his resume, his resume would be tattered with the lashings of the torturers. That's how he would present his resume, bloodstained with his own blood. And he reminds Timothy, Timothy, don't expect things to be rainbows and roses if you say you're a follower of Jesus. Be prepared, Timothy, to have folks disappoint you. Be prepared for people to desert you. But you keep calm and you carry on. 
And so listen, for example, to Paul's leadership resume. And so the reason I'm reading this before we even get into the text is because I want us to understand that all of this is in the background as he's writing to Timothy. And remember, he's in prison as he's writing to Timothy. And so what does all that mean? It means by the time he writes to Timothy, he has all of these experiences that I'm fixing to read to you behind him. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says to the Corinthians. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. And then he says, I'm talking like a madman. What makes him a better servant of Christ? This is his resume. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, and often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? So in other words, Paul's saying he's got all of that in the background of everything that he's telling Timothy. That there's one soldier of Jesus who knows what it's like to sleep in the trenches. It's Paul. And he writes what he writes tonight that we're going to consider to Timothy. Hear God's word. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer pray with me this evening help us Lord God to rightly divide this text to see the beauty of Jesus in it we pray these things in the power of the spirit in the name of the son to the glory of the Father. Amen. So what I want to do tonight, very briefly, is I want to give you three points from this text. Three points that give you confidence to press on. Three points to give you confidence to press on. And they're all going to be on the screen here. Brother Sam, thank you very much. Number one, be confident in God's plan. Be confident in God's plan. God has not left us in this world to simply figure things out on our own. He's not left us in this world to figure things out for ourselves. What's He done? Instead, He has given the Spirit who is within us to guard us, 
as well as to guide us. The Spirit of God, listen to this, the Spirit of God within us is greater than Jesus beside us. Isn't that what Jesus said? It's to your benefit that I leave, so that in my leaving, the Comforter can come, the Counselor can come, and when He comes, here's His ministry. He's going to convict the world. He's going to point to me. He's going to draw men to me. And so the, the Spirit of God within us is greater than Jesus beside us. Jesus said it was to his advantage that he go. And the reason that he said that was so that the work could be carried out according to his plan. And what is God's plan? I argue with God's plan most times before I stand before you. God's plan is to take the least of these, those whom the world despises, and through us to reveal the splendors and the glory of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if it was up to me, I could have thought of a thousand different ways. Lord, why don't you just take the angels and let them uh, fly across the sky, have a banner or whatever. the ca- no, God's plan is not that way. We have to trust his plan. His plan is to take a ragamuffin bunch like you and me. Those whom the world despises. Those who are in the minority. To show that the, that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisest of men. To take the least of these. Those whom the world despises. And through us, through the foolishness of preaching, through a group of people praying to reveal the splendors and the glory of God. So the message tonight is don't panic. Instead, pursue faithfulness. And as you do, as you pursue faithfulness, do so with confidence. With confidence in the God who calls, the God who empowers, and the God who sustains All, listen, is according to plan. We might not understand it, but that's really not our business to understand it. God didn't come to us and say, here's the plan. What do you think about it? It's not our place to understand it. Our marching orders are clear. Hold the line. Stay faithful. Faithful in your home with that husband who mocks your faith. Faithful in front of your kids who think that some of your rules because you love Jesus are strange. Faithful at work when your values means that you're excluded from this or that. The the God who started a great work intends to complete what he started. Jesus coming. Jesus dying. Jesus rising again was a moment that the world will never be able to get uh, over. They'll never be able to undo. They'll never be able to outlive. And that one moment shows that this God that we serve is faithful and true. He has a plan, and he's going to finish what he starts. But listen, he's going to do it in his way, and he's going to do it in his timing. And our response is to keep calm and keep going. Stay calm. The Lord is upholding the world by the word of his power.
Press on. And perhaps strangely, he has said that in the latter days, people would depart from the faith. You say, well, why is that strange? This is God's plan. And God says that people are going to depart. Wouldn't you think that after Jesus comes, everybody would just have a worldwide revival? And if you're thinking that way, the good news is is that you're not alone. The disciples were thinking the same way. Remember, after they'd been with him for 40 days, Lord, is now the time? Is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom? What does he say? That's not your business. It's not for you to know. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you know what? You're literally going to be witnesses of me, not just my witnesses as if there's some distance between us. Because remember, the Spirit inside of us is greater than the, uh, than Jesus. the Spirit inside of us is greater than Jesus beside us. So it's not just that we're, we are witnessing, but we're not just His witnesses, but we're literally witnesses of Him. So when the world looks at us, they see Him. You say, my goodness. I'd much rather them see Jesus, me too. But this is his plan. This is his ways. And so he said something. He said strangely, he says this thing. Look at verse 1. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. So here's the question. How did the Spirit say that? Here's what I believe. I believe the Spirit says that the same way the Spirit speaks today. You say, how does the Spirit speak today? Through his word, through God's word. Isn't that what Paul says about the Bible? Paul says that the Bible is, um, is theopneustos, that is, it's God-breathed, it's breathed out by the Spirit of God. So how does the Lord speak? He speaks through His Word. So the Spirit expressly says, well, where does the Spirit expressly say? Well, just consider Matthew 24. Listen to what it says. Jesus says, they will deliver you up the tribulation, put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will lead many astray because lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, that one will be saved. And then listen to this confidence that Jesus says. Listen to this next line. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed despite the delivering up, despite the tribulation, despite the putting to death, despite the being hated by all nations, despite the ones falling away, despite the ones betraying one another, despite the false prophets leading everyone astray or some astray, Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then Jesus says this, and then the end will come. So you see the picture that Jesus is painting, the same one that Paul's painting. Look, there's there's an army in front of you. It looks like there's an impenetrable force. Jesus says, keep marching. Keep going. Don't stop. The cause is too great. Time is too short. The life of your children is too precious for you to sit in a place and spin your wheels. Advance for God's glory. 
And the knowledge of what he's going to do when he tells us these things, it demonstrates just how much God cares for us. You see, he's not giving us some kind of bait and switch and saying, you know, just come to Jesus and you'll be, have your best life. Just come to Jesus. And no, he's not some kind of bait and switch. He's not keeping something from us so that those who are really holy are those who walk around despising themselves. No, no, he's not, it's not a bait and switch. He's not keeping things from us. Instead, what's he doing? He's keeping reality in front of us. And what is reality? The cross of Jesus Christ. Remember that we, can, we cannot know God except through a cross. The only way we know God is through an instrument of torture. The cross. God secures our hope and reinforces our faith with what to expect. So when the hurricane comes, for example, what do we do? We batten down the hatches. That's what we say. We batten down the hatches. When we're assured, of, uh, when we're assured false teachers will come and that many are going to fall away or they'll be carried away, what do we do? We prepare. How do we prepare? By renewing our minds. By preparing our hearts and our hands for action through devotion to the truth. And listen to me, there's this real danger that we need to be aware of as believers. The real danger to avoid as believers. There's no reason for us to fall into pride and think that we are being above or we're above being led astray. And no room in our hearts then to be passive. Instead, as 1 Peter says to those elect exiles, we prepare our hearts for action. We take Ephesians 6 seriously. And we get up in the morning and we put on the whole armor of God. And then we stand, therefore. And as we're standing, facing all the onslaughts, the line holds because God's grace is greater. And then when that onslaught stops, we take a march forward. We keep marching forward. We intend to frustrate the devil with our devotion to the truth. That's what we're in. This spiritual warfare. And our best frustration. Listen. Our best frustration comes from what confounds the wisdom of the wise. And what is it that confounds the wisdom of the wise? What's our message to the world? The foolishness of the cross of Jesus Christ. Number two. Be confident in God's victory. Be confident in God's victory. Look at this. Look in the text. Look in verse 1. The teachings of the false teachers, they're called teachings of demons. Literally, in the Greek, doctrines of demons. And so, what's Paul do? He sets the conversation towards spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. We rage not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. But listen to me. Listen. Thankfully, we serve a God who commands legions of demons. Legions. A legion of demons at a time is no match for King Jesus. He speaks, and they tremble. 
He tells them to flee. And they do exactly as he says. You say, do you believe in the devil? <laughs> yes. And I hope that you do too. And if you don't, he's got you right where he wants you. Because he's real. Martin Luther believed in the devil. His most famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, has this stanza. Listen. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. Then listen to this next line. One little word shall fail him. What on earth is that one little word that will fail the devil? F-E-L-L, -L, not F-A-I-L. What will fall or fail the devil? That's what you do with a tree, right? You fell a tree, whatever. Anyway, what is the one word that's going to fail the devil? The one word that's going to fail the devil is the name that is above every name. Say it with me. Jesus. I think we can do better than that. Jesus. That one word, one word, one little word shall fail the devil. Look at, the, look at our passage again. Don't forget the context. Look. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, follows chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. At chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, Paul reminds Timothy that the gospel is unstoppable, that the gospel is inexhaustible, that the gospel is inextinguishable. And so lest we become overwhelmed by what we see or experience unfolding around us, if we're overwhelmed by what we see and what we feel, close your eyes and listen to God's Word. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Or hear the fourth stanza of Luther's hymn. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours. Through Him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Why is God telling us all these things? He wants to encourage us. He wants to encourage us to press on, to keep going. He says something similar through Peter. He says, In Peter, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised as something strange were happening to you. 
But then listen to what he says, the context. And if we had, I'd take you over there if we had time. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Listen to what verse 11 says. Verse 11, if we were to go back just before Peter says, don't be surprised at these things. He says that all glory belongs to God. And he says in verse 11 that God's dominion is forever and ever. So in other words, don't be surprised. What we're going through doesn't negate God's goodness. Even if they take a sword and ram it through us, God's principles are greater than the sword. The world's powers may have the power to kill, but God has the power to raise life from the dead. That's this God that we serve. Number three this evening, you see, if we're going to press on, this confidence that we have to have to press on is number three. We have to be confident in God's gospel. We have to be confident in God's gospel. Because listen, God's gospel is going to be the thing that the enemy is going to come to you and sift and say, you don't believe that. You really don't believe that your righteousness is based upon what Christ did. You've got to add a little bit of you in there somewhere. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to not touch this. You got to not touch that. There's something that you have to contribute here to this salvation. Notice the false teachers. What can we learn from them? And remember, remember our thesis that we're laying out at least in 1 Timothy. There's some in verse, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 19 and 20. There's some who reject these things, have made shipwreck of their faith. And so Paul's telling Timothy, don't be like those guys. Don't be like Hymenaeus. Don't be like Alexander. Don't make shipwreck of your faith. Well, how can we avoid making shipwreck of our faith? Well, look at the false teachers here in chapter 4. What mistakes did they make? Look at this. Pay attention. Look just in verse 1. It says that they have a point of departure. A point of departure. And remember, this is a call for our minds to be engaged and to take action. A point of departure. Listen, every journey begins with a step. In the wrong direction. Listen carefully. The wrong direction for us is one step away. And then look at what happens in the text. Logically, from the departure, there is then a devotion. What do they devote themselves to? You don't have to be a Baptist preacher to do alliteration. What do they devote themselves in the text? What do they devote themselves to? Doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. But those who lead others away, they're the ones that face a stricter judgment. Look at what the Bible says about those who lead others away, that follow these doctrines of demons, that try to get others, pull them in. It says that they're called insincere liars whose consciences are seared. Now that's nothing, you don't want anyone to say that about you. But you especially don't want the Apostle Paul or Jesus Christ to say that you are an insincere liar and your conscience is seared, cauterized. In other words, these guys are so far, or gals, 
are so far gone from the truth. They are so numb to the truth. There's almost no hope for them. One who is so far gone is like a blind man at the helm of a boat, not knowing that there's disaster right in their path. But notice this. All of these characteristics all play themselves out in a certain way. Look at this. Verse 3 through the rest, they forbid marriage, require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And then Paul says this, a verse that has to be taken with wisdom and spelled out completely. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And let me insert that there's some things that you can't receive with thanksgiving. For it is made holy, literally consecrated, by the word of God in prayer. And there again, listen, that is not a blank check to say, well, everything's created, but it's all good. No, no, you have to be able to receive it with thanksgiving in a posture of consecration. In a posture of consecration. And then receive it, if you can. If it makes all those tests, then receive it. So these characteristics, they all play themselves out in a certain way. And listen, the point of contact with the truth and the doctrines of demons is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's always going to be the line. A generation or a church that assumes the gospel in one generation, the gospel will be lost in the next. Because these truths are so transformative. We have to teach ourselves these truths on a regular basis. That salvation doesn't depend upon what we do. God's not satisfied with you because of what you do or don't do. God's satisfied with you because of what His Son has accomplished. And your placing faith in Him is the beginning point of what you do. You don't do, do what you do. That's a lot of do's. Because you're trying to place your faith in Him. No, you're not working for the satisfaction of God. You're working from it. You are, if you place faith in Jesus, the righteousness of God in Christ. That's who you are. Ephesians, Romans, read the New Testament. It's who you are because of Him. So what are these false teachers doing by looking, looking? They're looking inward when the gospel focuses our attention upward. They're focusing inward. When the gospel says, forget about yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Maybe a parallel passage very quickly will help us understand the point that Paul's making here. Listen to what he said to the Colossians very quickly. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. 
For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Listen, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And then Paul makes this point. Listen. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to festivals or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished. And knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is all from God. All of these patterns in this text reveal the age-old pattern and the practice of the devil who questions the goodness of God. Paul's response, who are you to question the goodness of God? And so the disposition then that Paul is aiming for is one that focuses our attention outward and not inward. And not only not inward, but also upward. God knows your heart. and God calls us to trust in Christ alone for salvation. And remember this. The greatest goodness our world has ever seen or ever will see is what Christ has achieved for us from the cross. And listen carefully. Any teaching that tries to cast a shadow on the glory of the cross by focusing on our achievements, on our efforts, they're false teachings and they're doctrines of demons. No wonder those things won't stand. There's no confidence in that message to stand, but there's every confidence in an empty cross and an empty tomb and a soon-coming-again Savior. The truth of the gospel demands our constant attention, and it's easiest, easiest, listen to that word, it's easiest for us to drift away from these truths because they're almost too good to be true. However, with the gospel, they are so good And so true. And so the point for us tonight 
is to keep going. Keep going. It was Ignatius who, one of the earliest of Christian writers outside of the New Testament, Ignatius, listen to what he says. Christianity is greatest when it's hated by the world. Christianity is greatest when it's hated by the world. You see, what do we have here? This is our moment. This is our moment to shine as brilliant lights. And why do we shine? We shine because we have an inexhaustible gospel that never fails, that's always good news, and that always satisfies. The gospel is untouchable. So what I want to do is I want to share this with you just in closing, and then I'll be done tonight. When John Chrysostom, who lived in the uh, 4th century, John Chrysostom was brought before Eudokia, the empress. She threatened him with banishment if he insisted on his Christian independence as a preacher. She says, or he says to her, you cannot banish me, for this world is my father's house. But I will kill you, said the empress. No, you cannot. For my life is hid with Christ in God, said John. I will take away your treasures. No, you cannot. For my treasure is in heaven. And my heart is already there. I will drive you away from your friends. And you will have no one left. No, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. And then John looked at the empress and said, I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph. And how does that truth triumph? Through us, through us, through us. Press on. There's a Savior who's calling. There is a King who is worth serving. And there is a world ripe to hear the news and be saved. You're listening to Hearing is Believing. For more information or to contact us, please visit hearingisbelieving.org.